morning, church. This is the day the Lord has made, and we rejoice, and we are glad in it. Can we take two seconds and do just that? Can we rejoice in the day that he has made? Lord, you're worthy. We honor you. We bless your holy name. We thank you for waking us up this morning and allowing us to see another day. Uh, my name is Paul. For those who do not know me, I'm privileged to serve as pastor of this congregation, and it really is awesome to see every single one of you today. Uh, if you're visiting with us for the first time and you're thinking that I just hear Hezekiah Walker and Hillsong and a hymn in the same song set, yes, you did. That's who we are. I believe heaven's going to sound something like that. And so we're wanting to reflect as best we can here on earth that sound. We're also, it's awesome to see all of you, those live streaming. Thank you as well for joining us. We appreciate your choosing to spend an hour of your time with us in worship. We are grateful, grateful for that. Thank you as well to every single volunteer who every week serves so selflessly. Perhaps once a month you're serving, maybe three times a month you're serving. Uh, whatever the frequency, thank you. Thank you so much for giving of your time and your effort to, uh, to allow us to, to be here and to serve. Um, and I'm grateful to, I, I share this with the, the, the discipleship moment at, that happens at 9.30 every week with the volunteers. Um, because every so often, you know, you get caught up with the details of, of what serving accomplishes. And they're important details, right? Like the mics don't set themselves up, the, the flags outside and all the, the stands. There's someone, a husband or a wife perhaps, whose spouse said, it's okay, I'll take the kids and you can go and do that. And they get up a little early to make that happen. And I'm aware of that. And yet, I'm hopeful and prayerful that we not forget about the bigger picture of what serving is. For us, it's a part of our discipleship process here at Victory, along with attending and along with serving in or being a part of a Victory group. Um, everything about our Christianity is countercultural, is it not? If we're going to live, we got we to gotta die. If we want to be exalted, we're going to have to get, get low. Everything about what we do as followers of Christ is very much countercultural cultural in our grind daily i imagine so much of it is me me how do i tweet me how do i get mine and if we're not careful i find the church can become a place too where you're like i'm going to get mine which isn't all bad in, in and of itself i think we all need to come and receive but lord help us to strengthen the muscle that i think you flexed pretty often in that you said you came to serve so how do we shift from what culture often reinforces for us in that it's about me and getting mine and saying no I'm going to be more like Christ today and strengthen the muscle that says it's not about me, but it's about others. And so I'm grateful to be a part of a church family where so many say that day in and day out, week in and week out. So that's a bit of an extended thank you to the volunteer team, but also perhaps an informative narrative of how we approach our service here at Victory. And may God get all of the glory. Amen? Amen. Turn with me to the book of 2 Kings. We're going to look at chapter 6, and we'll be uh, in verses 15 through 17. We're beginning a series. It is September 1st, um, and finished a series, Teammates Matter, in the month of August. And this month, we're going to start a new series entitled, Who's Next? Who's Next? The idea being that God has called us, he's put something inside of us to pour into the next generation. And perhaps even those alongside us who may not necessarily be age-wise next generation, but nonetheless, they're next to us. And so we want to talk a little bit about what that might look like. And today we'll do more of a laying of the groundwork 
for that conversation that we'll have throughout the month of September by talking about how we first, I can't help but think of the, what we hear on an airplane, you know, when the, the flight attendant comes on and they say, in the unlikely event of loss of cabin pressure, uh, oxygen mask will come from the panel, make sure you take, take it first before you give it to someone else. And so lest we fall prey to just talking at those we want to see changed, I want to sort of lay some groundwork about how we first ought to be reckoning with our own belief in that God is more than enough for us in the areas of our life. Perhaps we put in our journal that we have yet to really trust God in. So we're looking at 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 15 through 17. And before we read, just pray with me. Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity to study your word. We pray according to your word. Psalm 119 and 18 says, open up our eyes so that we might see all that is in your law. Open our eyes today, Lord. Open our hearts. Soften our hearts. I pray that the word that comes through today would just not remain as head knowledge, but would drop the however many inches from our head to our heart and become applied in our daily living. Holy Spirit, speak today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. As we like to do here, we, we love to read together. So on the screens, you should see in the New International Version. Uh, but if you have a different version, read what you have. And we're just going to make a joyful noise together unto the Lord. Second Kings chapter 6, verses 15 through seven, 17. And you can read audibly with me. It says, when the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha title of the message this morning is more than enough more than enough i think most of you at this point know who my bride of 14 years is but if not taylor can you just because you love crowds i know can you raise your hand <laughs> so uh we married in 2005 we married 14 years uh known each other for about 18 or so we met here at the university of virginia on the charlottesville trolley yeah, yeah, it was kind of cool. I was kind of stockish, <laughs> but we, we won't go there. I was a little, uh, and anyways, I thought we're here today, so hey, <laughs> praise the Lord, uh, which isn't advice by any means to go stalk, but um, I was kind of stockish, but in uh, the time leading up to our formally being together, I had asked Taylor to be my girlfriend, right, and she prayed for about seven months before she responded to that invitation. Um, I remember she and some of her friends had these t-shirts that said, Jesus, some of y'all heard this, Jesus is my boo. And so I had two thoughts. One is, I have no chance. <laughs> like, who is going to compete with Jesus? Like, that's not happening. And yet the second thought was, that's exactly the kind of woman I want to marry, the one who loves God above all else, because she'll need him to deal with me, right? <laughs> 
So those are the two thoughts. Eventually, she said, yes, I, I graduated. I was in Newport News working at Warwick High School as a high school counselor. She was here finishing up her last year. I would come back and forth just about every week. And one of those weeks, I decided we're going to do something really special, like really special. I'm going to take you on a nice drive. I don't even remember, actually, because it's like just kind of blocked. And you'll know why in a moment. If it was Skyline Drive, Humpback Rock, or Carter's Mountain, all that I know is we were going up a winding road up a hill. And as we are driving on this very special date that I planned for the woman who took seven months to say yes to being a girlfriend to me, I said, oh my goodness, why is this light shining on the dashboard? <laughs> this genius got left the tank empty. So we're going up this hill and the tank is on E, the light comes on and I say, uh, yeah, so I have no chance. We turn around, we're going down the hill, trusting in gravity, if you will, to be more than the gas tank to get us to a gas station, which we eventually did, but not before panic and fear had stricken me, something serious. How am I going to explain to Daryl Sharp, her father, that I got trapped on a mountain with no gas? Like, how is this going to work out? But there was fear. And I suspect in the room, I hope it wasn't that occurrence, but in some way, shape, or form, you've experienced some fear, some dread, some panic. And no doubt, Elisha's servant in this text wasn't on a date, but he was experiencing some fear, some panic at the sight of these horses and chariots. And I think the challenge for him, for us in this time is to really embrace that reality of Jesus, of God being more than enough, more than the, the relevance in your life and mine, horses and chariots that we see. For some context, a little earlier in the chapter, the king of Syria, or Aram, as it says in some versions, was, was planning attacks against the king of Israel. Elisha, being a prophet hearing from the Lord, heard of what king of Syria was going to do. And so he said to the king of Israel, hey, you need to watch out because he's coming for you in these ways. He did it one time, he did it a couple times, three times. And finally, the king of Syria got word that somebody, he thought he had a snitch in his camp, but then he realized, oh no, it's this prophet Elijah who is telling all your business about your plans for the king of Israel. And so the king of Syria says, I got something for you. In verse 14, we didn't read that. He went at night so as to surprise him, one of the versions of the Bible says, which always gets me because I don't know how you're going to surprise a prophet. <laughs> but he went at night with an army for one man and says, I got something for you. Can I just insert something there parenthetically? The enemy, as we know through scripture, is out to do what? Keep, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And if he can do so through fear... He can cripple whatever fervor or faith you might have in advancing the kingdom of God. And if he can do that, I've learned in my life, even in another parenthetical, that if he can just distract me, but he's out to steal, kill, and destroy. He comes with an entire army for Elisha. And the text says in chapter 15, as we've read, when the servant of the man of God went out early in the morning, he saw all of the horses and the chariots that were all around the city. And he went to Elisha panicked. And said, what shall we do? Point of reflection momentarily and we'll move on. What do we do when we're surrounded? I see a lot of students. What do we do when that refund check doesn't come on time <laughs> or at all? What do we do when there's more month than money? What do we do when, when the marriage doesn't seem to be going as, as, as we thought it should be going? What do we do? When Social Security isn't there like I thought it would be, and I'm nearing retirement, what do we do when we're surrounded and fear is at our doorstep knocking? What do we do? He says, what shall 
we do. Elisha says, do not be afraid. The King King James Version says, fear not. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then in verse 17, it says, Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then it says the Lord opened his eyes, the servant's eyes, and then he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around, which in short is a reflection of God's protection that was all around them. So the question I really want us to reflect on, in addition to the parenthetical questions that I always like to reflect on as I read through scripture, but the overarching question today is how do we embrace the reality of Jesus being more than enough and to help others to do the same. And the two points that I like to highlight from this text is one, self-awareness, and two, other awareness. Self-awareness and other awareness. Self-awareness, that word fear. Uh, I didn't major in Hebrew, but thank God he allows me to study the word. I see somebody in the audience who does know a whole lot more about Hebrew than I, so I'll be picking his brain. But I did learn that the Hebrew word for fear is yare. And it references a psychological fear, being afraid. And it also references a reverence or a standing in awe of. And I'd like to suggest that the servant of Elisha in this moment was experiencing a little bit of both. He was legit straight up scared (laughs) that they were coming to get them. But and, but and, and he was also standing in some ways in awe of the enemy's tactics versus standing in awe of Emmanuel, God with us and his capacity to protect him. And how many times what we might find ourselves also in awe of the circumstances that we find ourselves in versus the capacity of he who is with us, Emmanuel. All of us can stand to bear uh, or to trust God a little bit more in our lives. And let me say also parenthetically something that I say often from this stage and will continue to do. When we talk about psychological fears, if I can go back to that for a brief moment, there are some psychological fears that are pathological in their orientation, and they may necessitate some medicinal support, might I say, to receive said insight from doctors, and we pray for insight for the doctors to to give you what you need, when you need it, and receive it as God's grace and not an indictment of your trust in God. Let me close that parenthetical. What I'm talking about more more, more generally or broadly today is the fear that can grip all of us in our lives in such a way that it warps our perception of reality, God's reality for our lives, such that we are standing in awe of the enemy's tactics versus standing in awe of Emmanuel, God with us. Those three words changes the game. God is with us. I see what's happening, but God who destroyed Death in the grave. He is with me. The Bible fear is spoken of over 330 times. I think God is trying to tell us something or at least saying it's going to knock at every one of your doorsteps. But the good news is he's got something for it. He knows before it's coming, nothing catches him off guard. And he's already defeated it. And he's allowing us the, the privilege to then walk in faith in what he's already accomplished here in the earth. Lord, let your will be done. Where? On earth as it already is in heaven. So the opportunity that we then get is, the privilege I like to say is to trust him, to partner with God, 
us flawed beings. He gives us that chance to trust that he is going to work all things together for good. To trust, as in Psalm chapter 3 says, that we don't need to be afraid of tens of thousands that assail us on every side. We can trust that he's going to perfect that which he begun in us. We can trust, as it says in Isaiah, that when his word goes out, it's not going to return void. It's going to accomplish that which it was sent to accomplish. We can trust, Romans 8, that we are more than conquerors through him. We can trust that he who dwells in the secret place, Psalm 91 says, of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. We can trust that no weapon formed against us is going to prosper. We can trust that in him we have victory, 1 Corinthians 15 and 57. We can trust God. Trust God. Why? Because he is more than enough. Emmanuel. And he's with us more than whatever it is that we're having to face in our lives. The deception associated with fear, however, can, as we've said, rob us from that opportunity to trust God and to partner with him in the ways that he wants to show up and out in our lives. My prayer is this morning we find ourselves more like Elisha and saying, yes, I see the horses and the chariots. I see the uphill battle it might be to pay for school. I see the uphill battle it might be to raise this child who just seems to be not wanting to listen. I see the doctor's report that has come. I see those horses and chariots, and yet I see that there's more with me than is against me. Psalm 34 and 7 says it this way. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and subsequently delivers them. I have found personally, uh, as somewhat of a long parenthetical, that it helps when being self-aware to reflect on what I like to call a faith file. Some of you in individual conversations, we might have engaged around that topic, a faith file. We used to have a big file cabinet in our house, big, heavy, too expensive, but I got it for free from Pops, file cabinet in our house that had everything that I needed to remember. My medical documentation, even papers I had written from college, automobile insurance, you name it, it was in the file cabinet. Then we moved about four or five times in six years. I said, okay, I will never move that thing again. <laughs> Gave it away and then it became Google folder or Drive and, and, and you get it, I, iCloud and, and all of what you use, live binders, Dropbox, etc. Point being, if I were to forget something, I can go back to my files and check it. And I said, well, Lord, what does my faith file look like? When fear attempts to come and grip me and, and, and warp my perception of his reality for me, I can go then to a faith file that says, you know, 20 years ago, that car accident that very well could have and many said should have taken you out of this world, you walked away from. Go back and look at that file if you need to. Just check my credentials. Similarly, 20, 20 plus years ago, I was sick. The doctors told my parents at least maybe three to six months you're going to be dealing with this. Two weeks I was back in school. Faith file. Mom, aneurysm. Should have been gone. Healed. Faith file. The violence that I found myself in the midst of and didn't even know it. Stuff was going on and I had no idea until later. And yet God's hedge of protection was around me. Faith file. If ever I get my perception warped by the reality of culture and not shaped by his reality, I can then go to a faith file. What's in yours? My elders used to say it this way when I was growing up. When I think of the goodness of Jesus and all that he has done for me, I dare you to think for a minute and do it often. 
and recognize that Emmanuel, the one who did conquer death in the grave, walks with you and has already done enough for you, for you to shout and do some backflips in his name forever, that he's still on the throne, ready to conquer whatever horses and chariots you might find surrounding you in this moment. Now, I've only been on the planet 39 years, but I know you're either going into something, you in something, <laughs> or you coming out. So I know I'm on everybody's row. And the word is the same. How about that? He's more than enough. He is more than enough. And if you're sitting here and you find, well, I don't have my faith file, the fun fact is that we all have one because great is his faithfulness toward us. The servant said, what shall we do? What shall we do? I work for those who don't know in the field of education. Study the achievement gap and questions are continuing to be asked as the achievement gap persists. What shall we do? Sunday morning, several have said now over many decades that 1130 is the most segregated hour in America. What shall we do? What shall we do? And we, I believe, as a church has something to say in response to that question. Certainly Elisha's servant was asking it here, but in all of our respective spheres of influence, that question is getting asked every single day. I believe we have an answer to that question. To the next generation, those God has put alongside us, and part of that answer is really all of it with some subpoints is that he is more than enough, which leads us, though, then to our second point of emphasis this morning. Other awareness. Elisha said, do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. I just want to challenge some of you, just before we even go into that point. The challenge, I referenced it earlier, but over this next month, the challenge to think of is to think about who's next. Even now, get a picture of that person, the young person. Maybe they're in your house. And maybe it's not a young person, maybe it's just someone standing alongside of you, but the challenge is to think about who's next and in what ways God has done a whole lot in and through you that it can then, as a conduit does, go through you <laughs> to that person such that they too can see God as more than enough. Elisha said, don't be afraid for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. I want you to notice there, as I did when I was reading it, that Elisha doesn't necessarily deny the presence or reality of the horses and chariots in that very sentence. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. He's acknowledging the reality of what is presenting itself to him and his servant. He's not forgetting both the real fear and the real chariots and horses that are there. And for me, that says our presentation of truth to those around us doesn't need to be then deaf and blind to the reality that they are facing. Truth telling doesn't need to be devoid of empathy said differently. We had dinner with someone recently where the child is going through some difficult medical things. And, and the temptation, and albeit true, is to say, God is a healer. And he comforts. And he brings faith. That is absolutely true. And you know what else in that moment we felt was, 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 was ministry? Sitting with them and saying, my God, this must be hard. This stinks. I see how fear might grip your soul about how you're going to then raise said child. How has your family dynamic changed? How might you be experiencing guilt about what you did during your pregnancy, though we know it's not true? But let me sit with that for a minute. I love how Elisha, in this moment, that we can then extend to moments in our lives, doesn't truth tell without acknowledging what might bring fear. So we, too, when we think of who's next, 
and we truth tell and tell people God is good, and he is. He brings comfort, and he does. He's a healer, and he is. How might we also, in that same moment, simultaneously deal with the tension of what is the horse and the chariot in their life? Ephesians 4 and 2 says, be completely humble, be gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. John 1 and 17 says, grace came along with truth, truth in the form of Jesus Christ, which is incredibly instructive then for us. And while I can never fully understand the experiences of my brothers and sisters, and certainly this next generation, it's like a whole nother code switching to understand I can make a lifetime of commitment to walking it out with them, demonstrating how committed I am to understanding. I'll never know what it's like to be a female, just to put it out there. <laughs> Five, two, beautiful, light-skinned, brilliant, funny. Those laughing know what you've caught on. I'm talking about my bride. I'll never know what it's like to be her or having to grow up, grown up in Columbus, Ohio, but I can and have made a commitment to every day of our life trying to communicate how deeply I want to know. So we too, with truth telling, can be with, be present with others. Other awareness. I mentioned earlier, if I can say that for a quick moment, the fiasco about the, the date with my wife, and she's here, so you know how that story ended. But it was a fiasco. I did get another chance. We did do Humpback Rock. We did do Carter's Mountain after we got married because I wasn't going to be a fool twice. I said, we're going to get married, and then we're going to try again <laughs> after we got married. But I still, no doubt, make a lot of mistakes in this attempt, like Elisha, to both bring truth and grace to situations. I still make mistakes in our marriage, in other relationships. And this weekend, I went to North Carolina, uh, where I was with my line brothers, who, um, line brothers, ah, reference, uh, folks that I was inducted into a fraternity with at the same time in college. So every year, there were nine of us, and every year we get together, and as many of us as possible get together, and we go to some place, spend some time. We happen to be really good friends, which all fraternity brothers are not, but we are. Um, they all happen to love Jesus. That always doesn't exist either, but for us it does. So this weekend, I was in North Carolina in Durham, and my wife and I, we had a lot going on, and everybody's always grinding and doing a whole lot, but we were like, we really can't make it. But I said, babe, I think I need to make it. How can we make this work? Long and short of it, I went, took the kids. Taylor got a me time, some me time <laughs> over the weekend, and I'm there with my line brothers for the whole weekend. Came back late last night, and we're there. Never really saw the ladies who could come because they rolled out. So it was me, my line brothers, and about 17 kids in the house, right? <laughs> Running wild, doing whatever they want. Look, the playground's out back, basketball court, the front, toys, have at it. And as they did that, they all came back safely. We then got to talking. Work, ministry, family, life, the grind, because everybody's grinding in their own way and all of them in many ways, are always thinking about the other and not themselves. And so this is relating to other awareness, which reflects the text that we're reading today. And as we talked, we all give each other access to each other, which I would encourage you to have people to give access or have access to your life. Questions like, how's that grind working for your marriage, though, came up? Or, I hear you talking a lot about these horses and chariots. How's that prayer life going? Where are you, what are you standing in awe of? Questions like, hey, when you get a text message, how easily does that interrupt your conversation with your wife at night? How's that? 
And all, I mean, all weekend long, we're going back and forth and praying with each other. And, but, but a lot of the hard questions such that we can come back and maybe not make as many of the same mistakes, be refreshed, be energized, be sharpened, be encouraged, talked about everything so that we could be more aware of self, but then others. What does it look like to be more empathic? What does it look like to put gas in the tank? And then as I was leaving, I said, guys, I'm going to leave a little bit early because um, I got to go buy Dame's Chicken and Waffles uh, <laughs> on my way out of here. And, uh, and he said, good stuff, man. Well, you're going to bring some for Taylor, right? I said, that's who it's for, man. And he said, well, don't tell her because they might run out of chicken and then you got our hopes up. And, they, and I'm like, well, first of all, it's not Popeye's. But yes, I hear you. <laughs> they... they <laughs> They might run out of some chicken or whatever. So I said, no, I didn't tell them. But that was smart because I was about to text you and say, hey, let me build anticipation. But they were like, hey, bro, don't do that because if they don't. And sure enough, one place had an hour long wait. And I'm like, dang it, that would have killed it. But let me call Carrie's and got some dame chicken waffles, came home with some schmear for my beautiful bride. But there was a lot of truth spoken. Bring that on back. (laughs) Truth spoken in that space with grace. They didn't just tell me my breath stunk. They kind of said, hey, I got some Altoids. You want some? And I said, no, man. No, really. You want some? (laughs) Oh, oh, I I hear you. And similarly, Elisha in our text, he clearly states the truth of the matter. There's more with us than those who are against us, although without denying the reality of the horses and the chariots that have surrounded them. And then goes on to verse 17 and says, Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord so that he may see. And then the Lord opened the servant's eyes. He looked, he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire, which we reflected earlier what that means, all around Elisha. And I love this part because Elisha wasn't just satisfied to have peace within himself only. He wanted others to experience it as well. And this is where we get to the the sermon series of the month of who's next. God bless us if we've got some clear 2020 vision. Or we're experiencing God's peace. Or at the very least, we know peace we can access. We know how we can get to the throne. We, we, God bless us if we can. But Elisha's saying it wasn't enough to just have peace. He wanted now for those in his sphere of influence. Hence the challenge, who's next in your life, to also have the same kind of peace. And he also, as I noted, kind of goes beyond what I'm sure he knew could have been very practical strategies, which we employ every day in the workplace. Effective ones, I love them. I love research. I love best practices and implementing them in schools for the betterment of children every day. And many times the kindest thing we can do for somebody is pray. Bombard heaven. Elisha says, pray for them, recommending them to the mighty grace of God. Why? James 5 and 16 says, because the prayers of the righteous avail much. Not from a, this is a parenthetical, and I'm going to close, worship team. Y'all can come. We're not going to necessarily finish, but not from a place of sort of being pretentious, you know, like, Lord, help him see what I see. Um, Or a prideful sort of space, or the space that we talked about some weeks ago where they're down in the hole, and you're like, oh, man, that's real nice down there. How you doing? Right? But getting with and saying, Lord, I'm not going to talk about the world. I'm going to talk about me. And there, but for the grace of God, go I. How can my brother and sister 
see more of you as I still need to. So that together we can see that there's more with us than there is against us. Not from a pretentious space, but from a place of empathy where we can truly intercede well for those on behalf. Elisha, as we close, was very, very clear on who needed to be involved in this process as well. Reconciled to God and each other? Yes, it's the vision. Who's next? Yes, we, we invest heavily into our children. We invest heavily into the teens. We invest heavily in each other and our walks with Jesus Christ. And we work hard to do that, but we know our hard work doesn't do the heart work. Elisha had it very clear. Zechariah 4 and 6, I imagine he had an inkling of, of it's not by might nor by power. It's by God's spirit. He didn't gather a bunch of persuasive points and a convincing dialogue, right, to then sort of go toe-to-toe. He said, no. He prayed, Lord, open his eyes. So how do we embrace the reality of Jesus being more than enough? My hope, my prayer is that we are encouraged to both increase our self-awareness, the deception of fear at work in our own lives, and then that of God's power to have already defeated it and continue to defeat it. And secondly, other awareness. What does it look like then to offer empathy and truth and praying for what God can only do? Amen. Lord God, we thank you for this time.